0: So we just interviewed the the managing partner of one of the largest um, management consulting firms in the country. So I'm not too sure how to measure that metric, but when I looked it up, you know, 40 staff. So it's a a fair whack for a business that's quite hard to scale. And the people that are going to get value out of this episode would be the small to medium sized business owners that want a bit of a clarity and understanding on how to grow their business, how to remove themselves from it. And it's one of those industries that people don't think they need it until they actually use it and see how much value they get out of it. So on that note, we'll just kick straight into it. Um, And yeah, let me know what you think. And uh, there's a free book uh, in the comments or in the link in the description. I'm struggling today. There's a link in the description of my book if you want to f- achieve financial freedom in New Zealand. Just download, it's free. Um, Without further ado, let's kick into it. Any sort of start to the podcast so people don't just listen for an hour and don't realize what we're going to talk about. I think it's good to set the scene. So like sort of what you do, sort of who you are, what company you know, you're know, you a part of, I think that's a good way to start. So,
1: Okay, so who am I? Well, obviously Rob Drow <laughs> yeah. and uh, I'm uh, a managing partner of Prime Strategies Group. So who are Prime Strategies? We're kind of an umbrella group uh, that specialise in business management advisory services to the SME business market. So... SME is an acronym for small to medium enterprise, if people don't know that. And uh, so that's businesses probably turning over from 0 to $20 million. But we particularly specialize in businesses, say, from a million up, uh, and we provide them with management advisory services. So what are management advisory services? Well, everything that happens in a business, really. Um, there are kind of six or seven pillars in a business so obviously you've got financial uh, management and you've also then got HR which is a big thing these days people are harder and harder to look after these days than they used to be in the old days you can't hit them with a baseball bat anymore uh, and <clears throat> we've got to give them love, love and empathy um and then obviously you've got products and services uh, and you've got systems and processes and you've got productivity and you've got sales and marketing. And the poor old SME business owner has to do all of those things because a corporate will employ a whole raft of senior management that have degrees in heaven's knows what to, to manage those things, whereas the SME business owner has to wear many hats every day To do those functions. And to be fair to the SME business owner, his training is probably in the technical side of his business. So he might be an engineer uh, or an IT guru or Mm -hmm. um, perhaps uh, a tradesperson of some kind and they build a business, uh, but their expertise is still their technical skill, not their management skill. So it's a very, very It's not all beer and Skittles, uh, which a lot of people think uh, that it is when they get into owning a SME business. And nearly every SME business owner, uh, when they buy a SME business, if you actually ask them, why did you become a business owner? They say, well, I wanted more free time, wanted to make more money, and I wanted to be my own boss. And they actually achieve none of those, most of them. (laughs) They work bloody long hours. A lot don't make a huge amount of money. And being your own boss means that you've got the skill to hold yourself accountable to do what you don't like doing. And SME business owners hold themselves accountable to do what they like doing, which is their technical skill, but not what they don't like doing. Mm. So we bring in a box of hats.
0: Wow. Yeah, you've practiced that, I've said. Yeah. That, was a good, that was a good spiel. Good spiel. I'll enjoy yeah, it. I've yeah, I've said that a few hundred yeah. thousand times. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So that's what Prime Strategies does. Cool. So everybody uh, that's in our team uh, are self-employed contractors, but mm-hmm. they work under uh, uh, an umbrella, um, and we provide a huge amount of resource and IP. But then, as individuals, we share each other's skill sets, and we chat and talk all the time, and analyse businesses collectively, and all the rest of it. So, in any particular area, the person say, if we're a person in Wangaratta, um, I mean, he's the face to the clients. But that doesn't mean to say that he's the only person that it that has input into those clients depending yeah. on what the client's needs are as to who might be looking at it so if it was something financial it might end up on my court because I'm supposed to know something about that
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. well I, yeah. I, I think there's um especially in the professional service component or the consulting side of things it's quite hard to to scale um. So yeah, I th- what were you, your challenges with that initially? So w- the business, like, what happened? So you, maybe we should unpack your story first.
1: Well, um, uh, as a uh, as a lad, I ended up uh, after mucking around for a while. I ended up in the banking industry. So we probably won't go back prior to that. Other than I used to play a lot of rugby and and fool around. Um, what position? So uh, I played fullback oh, yeah. Yeah, um, and was a very enthusiastic rugby player. So um, I ended up getting into banking, joined the ASB Bank um, and uh, had a reasonably successful career uh, in banking. Um, ended up as a GM in retail banking for ASB. And then the banking industry went through a massive change. In um, around about 86, uh, Roger Douglas became the Minister of Finance for the Labor government, and was the most right-wing financial uh, person probably ever. Um, he was the one that uh, believed that everybody should pay the same amount of tax, and uh, and so forth. But one of the things that I think he was wrong. But one of the things that he decided was that trusty banks, who were owned by the community, uh, didn't have the financial backing that they needed to survive in the banking industry. So what happened was these banks were sold to whatever buyer and the Commonwealth Bank of Australia bought ASB Bank and the money they paid for it went into a community trust. So in the old days, uh, the trustee banks were f- basically philanthropic, so they made a profit but gave it back to the community. Hmm. So what happened when ownership took place, the money that was paid for the bank went into a trust that then became the philanthropic arm but had nothing to do with the bank Um, and the bank became a commercial uh, uh, activity rather than a philanthropic activity. But, of course, ASB ended up in 1986 being owned by a bunch of Aussies, um, and who would want to work for them? Um, so that and the and the nuances uh, of political games that get played in corporates, and uh, come 1989, I'd had enough. Um, so I was still only 39 then, so I decided to uh, to, to get out. Um and uh, I went and worked for a law firm as a general manager for one of the major law firms in Auckland for a while. Um, but they uh, they got rid of me. Um, probably because I put too much pressure on performance. <laughs> um, they thought they wanted it, and when they got it, they didn't like it. So, <laughs> um, so I then went out on my own. Yeah, and did quite a few things. Um, at, uh, I felt I had a bit of a forte for. Um, uh, for strategic planning, um, and uh, so in the end, started advising small businesses. And I mean, first and foremost, um, prime strategy. So we are strategic planners. Um, but strategic planning in a small business is very, very different than a corporate. It's mm. probably less complex, but also it's more real. Um, hey Bob why did you buy this business where do you think you're going and how do you think you're going to get there kind of something that you were just talking about before about you know talking to your clients uh, about what where they're wanting to go and what they're wanting to do so we're the same with businesses you know so why'd you buy the business where do you think you're taking it how do you think you're going to get there and have you looked at a plan a structure a vision and do your staff know where you're going and all of those kind of things so I kind of thought I had a bit of knowledge in that area and so uh, I, I started consulting and SME Business. Made every mistake possible um, over a few years but finally kind of turned it into a process that worked and then I thought well <clears throat> I can only look after probably six or eight clients on my own. That's not going to fix the world very quickly. Mm. Um, so I thought why don't we look at starting a group where other like-minded people can um, can join. So, uh, hence the formation of Prime Strategies Group, um, and we've grown from small beginnings. We've got about forty now across New Zealand, and we've just started in Australia.
0: Yeah! Wow! Yeah, cool. I, I like um. I like the messy parts, you know, so, I mean, you, you've the, done well.
1: The messy, the, the, the what?
0: The messy parts. The messy parts. The parts where you're like, okay, well, I don't want to be in anymore. Now I'm going to <laughs> start out on my own. How the hell am I going to do that? So yeah. what was that like? So you're like, okay, I'm going to consult. Did you start cold calling 100 people a day? Did you have connections or? Um, no, actually, probably. Um, well, the first
1: thing is, is that um, when I left the bank, I, I went into a law firm, as I said. So I kind of went from the frying pan to the fire because although it was smaller it wasn't much different Um, a lot of political uh, uh, implications and then when I went out on my own um, I did a raft of things we got into the accommodation industry and and um, bought and sold uh, motels and hotels I got into the entertainment and food industry and and bought and sold bars um, and did a raft of things but in all of that, um, by accident as much as anything, I think the initial thing was a, um, a person that I knew was having a little bit of difficulty with their business, and I kind of said, "Hey, why don't I come down and have a look?" Um, and uh, we managed to. Most of me business owners run <coughs> run their businesses a lot by the seat of their pants. Um, And they and gut feel, and there's nothing wrong with gut feel because it's important, but it's kind of nice to have a little bit of data around it as well, so that you know that your gut feels actually somewhere right. So, anyway, um, uh, yeah, I I ended up um, helping uh, a person that had a SME business, and and I kind of thought that's not, I found it interesting and quite invigorating, and (laughs) so, um, uh, i I kind of then sort of looked at would this be something I'd enjoy doing full time and if I did and now I just built it on referral hmm. yeah. Um, so it's, a, it's a trust and rapport business. Even if somebody realises they need help, if they don't like you, they aren't going to hire you. Yeah. So uh, you've got to build trust and rapport. And all the people that we take on and prime, one of the key aspects that we're looking for, people that have got personalities that people will... Um, you know, have a bit of faith in, yeah, mm. there's no point in having all the school set in the world and nobody likes you because small business owners aren't that interested in your skill set. They're more interested in whether they like you and trust you. Mm, and if they like you and trust you, they'll give you a go. And then if they find out that you haven't got the school <laughs> set, they'll get rid of you. It's totally the reverse to corporates. It's quite funny because in a corporate, if you go for a gig in a corporate, it's all about your skill set. And after you've proved your skill set, they then think, well, do we like them? Um, Whereas SME business owners are totally the reverse. Hmm. Do they like you? Do they think they can work with you? Do they trust you with their pride and joy? And then after they've decided, yes, they like you, they then might think about whether you've got the skill set. But on the other hand, Nothing's permanent in the SME business world. You go to a corporate, you like there to, to sign a contract for what twelve months or something. SME business owner, it's day by day. They mm. don't like you tomorrow, they tell you to go. Um, and uh, so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think we got sidetracked there, but never mind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it, it, it's fascinating. Now, I mean, I,
1: so um, yeah, I just word of mouth basically, and um, <laughs> and and uh, you know. Uh, um, uh, getting close to the accountancy in uh, uh, industry, um, accountants have a huge part to play in the SME business market, but they work a little different with us because um, they have uh, a high, much higher level of clients. Um, you know, maybe two or three hundred, um, and they they work historically mostly um, because they they're working on tax compliance. Yeah. So they've got to look at historical numbers, and they and they've got to look at the tax position. They, they certainly might be giving uh, their clients advice on, on numbers and saying that their margins aren't right or whatever, but they haven't got the time, resources, nor skill set to necessarily get involved. We're totally the reverse. We only work with a few clients at any one time, and we're not looking – well, we do look at the past, but we're more interested in tomorrow. Mm. So we're saying, okay, this is where it's at. That's important, but where do we want to go?
0: Yeah. Have you fi- found that relationship with accountants changing over the years as compliance becomes less important and advisory becomes more important? Um,
1: I think it is going to change. It hasn't really yet. Okay. And, I, and I think that, that if I was an accountant in an accounting practice, I'd probably be looking long and hard at the way I operate. Hmm. Um, I haven't really, and in, in, I'm a little bit more removed now because I don't so much look after clients as I manage Prime now. So I'm not... Oh, yeah. Uh, on a close relationship with many accounting practices as I used to be, but yeah, um, you know, with the advent of of online accounting systems and uh, and and where they're going, and a little bit of insight into what some government's driving forces with the IRD, is, I can see, a time where people will running small businesses may have to pay tax on a monthly basis, just like they pay GST and the, the annual return for businesses under 10 million or something may disappear. Um, so it's probably going to change the accountant's world a fair bit. Yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, you know, when they go to do their law degree, that's what they get trained to do at the moment. So until probably the training changes, um, Maybe the role they have uh, is not going to change quickly.
0: Well, yeah. what, that's interesting. Then, like the GM, the GM of management consultant. so the manager of management consultant. What, what, what does your like day to day look like in that sort of role? What, what, do you? Um,
1: well, two things really. Um, first of all, recruitment.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: we're looking to grow. Um, and that's not just because we want to be the biggest cab on the the rank. Um. It's more about um, the bigger you are, the more resources that you can have, which is great for clients. Um, the better associations we can create with other players in the market, such as, um, you know, we're, we're a zero gold partner. We have a very close association with Simpro, which is a job management software. Mm. Very close association with Yellow, which is the old Yellow Pages. Oh, and, yes. and now as a social media Company, we're very closely associated with Heartland Bank and Kiwi Bank. So, those kind of opportunities weren't available when I was a one man band because if I went into, um, um, you know, into Kiwi Bank or Heartland as a one man band and said, hey, um, I'd like to create an association, I'd get the uh, FO, wouldn't I? You know, but. um, Um, So now, you know, we're the biggest network in New Zealand. So, of course, they want to talk to us. So we want to grow that. But also that allows us to grow expertise. We've got a huge amount of expertise. I mean, we've got accountants on our team. um, We've got uh, a lawyer. We've got bankers. We've got guys out of franchising and and so forth. We're importers and distributors. So, you know, you take 40 people and, and most of them are a little bit longer in the tooth and they've all come from fairly senior Uh, positions in the corporate world and so forth we've got a huge amount of expertise so we just want to grow that expertise Um, and then that allows us to grow our resources and then that allows us to help more people and if we can fix a little bit of New Zealand a little bit at a time it's not a bad uh, not a bad thing to be doing and we have outstanding results with our customers sometimes people won't believe what what happens
0: Mm. well so, you know, being a forward thinker for the clients, I'd be curious what your forward thinking is for, you know, Prime Strategies. Like what what are you hoping to achieve or what's the overarching vision of the company that people are joining in? Um, as I was starting to say, what's one of my
1: main roles is recruitment. And we get a lot of people that show interest, um, but I believe it does take a unique kind of people. So we're relatively selective. Um, Part of that's brand protection um, and we don't want anybody out there Um, and there are a few cowboys in the industry so uh, we've got a very stringent code of ethics that people have to sign in blood and I have a massive baseball bat so um, everybody behaves. so uh, the recruitment side of it, and then obviously the development of the way we do things and the facilities that we have to help people, yeah. So what was your question? Vision. Vision. Um, <clears throat> first of all, I believe the industry will become legislated. Governments legislate everything, yeah. um, and particularly where the world's going at the moment. and there's, Everybody wants some controls around things. One of the few industries that provides professional advice at the moment that's not legislated, Um, so any uh, monkey can stand up and be a business advisor and go out there and it's buyer beware, Um, I think that will change and I'd like to have an influence on that when it does Um, and I think one of the ways of doing that is to um, be a major player in the market Um, and I think that's good Probably, as long as they don't get too carried away, to have some rules and regulations around what you can do and what you can't. One of the things in our code of ethics is we can't have a financial interest in the businesses we advise, Mm. which allows us to be a non-emotional advisor. And a lot of advisors operate in a reverse. Their whole Mm. gambit is to get a a slice of the cherry. Um, And I kind of almost think that's unethical, um, particularly when you might... Uh, not give great advice at the beginning until you get a shareholding, and then you get the shareholding cheaper, so to speak. Yeah. Mm. Um. And then, on, and and as I said, not being big just because being the biggest cab on the rank, but uh, to grow the business to a size where you know we become a household name for business management advisory services, and it's a go-to place for people that want help.
0: Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I've just been exploring the management consultancy industry to understand it. It's quite interesting. Yeah, because I love people. And
1: yeah, there are quite a few players out there, and and it's I suppose one of those industries that until you start looking at it, you don't know it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you do start looking at, it, there are probably half a dozen groups uh, in New Zealand, and then there are literally hundreds of uh, sole operators. Yeah. Here. And I mean, it's a decision. Every you know, I mean, I interview people all the time and um, about looking to join Prime, and I say to them, you know, the first decision for you is not Prime Strategies. It's whether you want to become a business management advisor. Mm. You're never going to get filthy rich uh, being a business management advisor because we basically sell time, um, and when you sell time and you're only your own. Um, You know, there's a limited amount of revenue that you're going to be able to to generate. So this is not a job to get rich. This is a job that provides a huge amount of satisfaction if you're a helper and you Hmm. get a buzz out of improving people's lot. So the first thing is, do you want to get into the industry? You know, that's your first choice or first decision, not prime strategies. And then if you decide, yes, you want to get into the industry, then you can print a brochure and a business card and go for it on your own, or you can join a group. Um, And I say to people, you know, you join a group, there's a cost um, because you don't join us for nothing. But um, on the other hand, we probably give you five years start, if not more, and provide you with a bucket load of resources that would take you years to develop
0: if you're doing it on your own. And this, this camera just cuts out 30 minutes. So I just pushed it. So, um, well, do you think about that? Like, cause trading time, like job satisfactions, um, I mean, like I don't get people that do jobs that they don't love. Like, you know, it's most of your life. So do you think about a scalable way, um, to, to reach, um, and reach more people?
1: One of the, we have two annual conferences every year and when you get 40 people who have got fairly powerful personalities in a room it can be quite interesting but one of the things we talk about all the time is is you know how do we scale Uh, what we do Um, and then I'm not saying it's a no-go area I would think at some stage we probably have got quite a few smart ideas that we will implement but on the other hand you've got to be pretty careful about sticking to your knitting One of the reasons that we're very successful with our clients is that we work with them first on we we form long-term relationships, so we're not um, a go-in-and-fix-something-and-get-out organisation. Our client longevity is over three years, and that's growing all the time. Um, And we form a long-term relationship and work with the business owner, and we work with them on a very regular basis. A business owner can go to Icehouse, um, which is a management training company, and and pay twenty odd grand and and do a fifteen week course on how to be a good business manager. We've got clients that have been to that course mm. because it's not learning the the um, the the tech, not learning the theory. Mm. It's actually putting it into practice. Um, and you can have all the theory in the world, but if you're not implementing, and implementing's partly knowing where to start, partly confidence, and partly holding yourself accountable because SME business owners might have hugely good intentions on Monday morning and then they walk in the door and they get smashed by a train, don't they? Um, and all of a sudden it's Thursday afternoon and I haven't done the first thing I was going to do on Monday morning. And that happens every day in all SME business owners' lives. And we m- see most of our clients weekly, and we force them for a few hours once a week to sit down and, and look at the bigger picture. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a balance, like like uh, in a crossover with financial planning. Essentially, if you you have to do what's needed, not necessarily always what the client wants. Yep, and I think that's an important distinction. You know, like if you're just if you're just, just people pleasing, it's like the differentiation between being nice and being kind being nice is saying what they want to hear, being kind is saying what they might need to hear.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, I mean, we talk about in our training, and we run training programs for, you were asking me, what do I do? Well, first of all, (laughs) I hire people, and then secondly, I train Train them. them. (laughs) I don't train them on, on business acumen because we don't take on anybody that we don't think's got good business acumen, but we certainly train them on, Um, On how to advise and the tools that we've got. And one of the biggest things that we do is hold people accountable. Um, And if if you agree with an owner that X has to be done and you arrive next week and X hasn't been done. Um, you can probably let it slide for a week or two, but at some stage you have to have the father and son, don't you? And, um, you know, you have to say, well, look, if if nothing happens, nothing happens, you know? And sometimes, you know, SME business owners mostly do not like confrontation. Hmm. So they avoid, and that I think that's partly a Kiwi tra- trait as well, where we're not, by nature, I don't think, very confrontational race. I mean... You take the average Kiwi, if they go into a restaurant and they get a bad meal, they don't complain. They walk with their feet or they talk with their feet, don't they? They'd say, I'm not going back there. The meal was shit. Um, and, and so that's how we are as a race. And I think that in SME business, you know, <coughs> small business owners will be struggling financially and yet have a lot of people that owe them money, but they won't go and collect it because it's confrontational. Um, so I'll do it tomorrow kind of mm. mentality or they've got a staff member that's causing mayhem and i need to have a chat with them but i'll do it tomorrow um you know and uh and and often when we finally get to doing the thing that we don't like because it's confrontational it's not as bad as what we thought it was going to be so yeah. our yeah. our mind pictures something horrible where in reality it's not that bad but if you've got somebody kicking out the their ass mm. saying that has to happen before next week um it works yeah
0: yeah i I go to a thing it's uh called the mankind project where essentially every week you meet with other blokes and they you talk about emotions and and hold each other accountable to what you said you're going to do you don't hold each other accountable you remind them to hold themselves accountable. accountable yep how do you navigate that between you know this person makes a conscious choice to make an agreement they don't keep it and you're reminding them, but you're not saying, "Hey, you fuck! Like, why don't you do your?" How do you? <laughs> I've got a that? little saying which I won't say at the moment, but uh, <laughs> it
1: might not be printable. Um, but yeah, you have you have to have the father and son, yeah. you know, because if you end up with an owner, we call it handholding. Hmm. Um, if you end up with an owner and you're just handholding, i.e. you're agreeing and not holding them accountable and whatever, you're going to get fired. It's only a matter of time, isn't it? Because if nothing happens, nothing happens, and one day the owner's going to wake up and saying, "I'm paying this guy money, and nothing's happening." Mm. They won't see it as their fault,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: even though it may be. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, we're saying to all our people, you've got to hold your owner accountable, and if it ends up. Um, where he dumps you because he doesn't like being told. Well, that was going to happen anyway. Yeah. Um, so you're better off to move on to a donkey that wants to um that wants to actually get ahead. And I mean, some people you just can't help. You know, yeah. not many, but some people you just can't help. Eh?
0: Well, there, yeah. there'll be um there'll be a few challenges there. So you're recruiting someone from potentially corporate with senior roles, and then suddenly they're going to have to find their own business. So yes, that's a challenge in itself. It's a, yes, and then you're going to have to go against the the culture that you're saying about hey, you know, having confrontational conversations. How how do you prepare someone like that to go start hustling as well as go against the grain somewhat? Yeah, I think even the most confident people,
1: um, probably when they first start in this industry are a little bit hesitant and uh tentative and maybe even a, a little bit of nerve and trepidation yeah um we took on a gent in in Christchurch, and from a very senior environment uh in a corporate and he and he had his first meeting um uh, we've just been through training and his first meeting and he, he rang me up and he says i was nervous as hell and yet he would have been doing way more difficult meetings yeah. for years and years in his old job um but it doesn't take long to get into a, a comfort zone you know and and what it's a confidence thing mostly what happens is when you see the results that you can um can achieve by working with an owner a you get a huge buzz out of it mm-hmm. but b it gives you a huge amount of confidence to know that the system works uh, and the process works i mean even very very high powered um you know operators have advisors, don't they? Um, Bill Gates uh, has a whole raft of them, you know? Mm. So, you know, having advisors and coaches is not a new uh, science, but it's probably one that SME business owners in the past have not um, picked up on. And I think, again, part of that is the Kiwi culture. Um, We come from a bit of a DIY uh, environment, so if you tried to do this industry probably in the 1960s, way before your time, <laughs> or 1970s, you would struggle, because uh, a SME business owner in the 1960s would think getting help was an admission of failure. Mm. Um, but also the world was a lot smaller; there wasn't as much compet. When I say smaller, it was smaller because of, um, you know, the the whole computer and internet and. And, and import uh, uh, risk, uh, uh, relaxations and, God, in, in, in my day, <clears throat> you had to make an application to the Reserve Bank to take $2,000 out of the country, you know. Um, <laughs> so things were a way tighter then and the, and the world was much smaller. We were mostly way more self-sufficient. And we were DIYers, so business owners thought that getting advice was an admission of failure. Um, that's not the case anymore now, and and coaching uh, in business is is more and more and more common. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think there's important lessons there. Like, um, a lot of business owners I see have a job. You know, they they're on the coal face, as you say, they're technicians. Um, and if you're going to reach a certain scale, you essentially HR. You know, like you don't necessarily have to be that person, but you need to be aware that there needs to be a person that can help train because. At any point, I want to replace myself. I only want to do what I want to do, so we'll, i just got to train some people to do the things I don't want to do.
1: Yeah, businesses go through a bit of a cycle. You know, you start off, let's say, a three-man band. So as a three-man band, you don't need anything written down, you know, um, because it's all word of mouth between the two or three of you, and, and, and you probably are all technically skill-driven, and you just get on and do the job. And then all of a sudden you grow to 15 or 20 men, and all of a sudden it's a different ball game. but you're not big enough to employ a general manager and mm-hmm. an HR manager and a sales and marketing manager and on and on it goes, but you're way too big just to be word of mouth and technically driven. And then you go into the next echelon, of course, when you're getting into the 30 or 40 million turnover, and that's when... Uh, you're not a corporate but you're getting to the point where you've probably got a general manager and an HR person and all the rest of it. And that's why we don't go into that space because those businesses are big enough to employ the expertise that mm. uh, that we would take. Also, it's it's hard to get in front of the owners of that size yeah. business yeah. whereas because uh, they've got gatekeepers for Africa whereas a business turning over a couple of million, uh, half the time the owner answers the phone. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's a good point. Well, so okay, let's say this management consultant comes in, you train them; they shit themselves in the first consultation. How how do you encourage them to make the sale, or you know, to build the relationship, or do you provide an entry point for them to start building that relationship? Uh,
1: we help. Uh, we help them with uh, prospect opportunities through a massive uh, number of avenues. So. um first of all we run a telemarketing arm I oh, so yeah. that's old-fashioned but it works
0: okay. so we
1: telemarket prospects and talk about profit leakage and those kind of things um, and and that's an interesting subject on its own profit leakage um, and then we get and then we have social media going all the time of course so we've got our website and Facebook and LinkedIn and we're blogging and writing articles and all those kind of things we do videos and that and as I said, we're, we're partners with a lot of uh, reasonably good-sized players in the SME business market, and, and they give us opportunities and vice versa. So all of those create opportunities or prospects. Mm. And then we've got a very structured process of uh, talking to a prospect for the first meeting. Um, we then do a, a diagnostic on their business probably in the second meeting where we identify the strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and so forth. And then obviously we look to signing them up as a, as a client. But um, yeah, the, the somebody joining Prime, we teach them how to do that, but they have to go and do it themselves. Yeah. So, so um, you know, sometimes it's a little bit daunting for some. Some people convert prospects to clients very quickly, mm. particularly people that come from a sales background or something like that. That doesn't necessarily make them a better consultant that somebody comes from a, uh, the other one. I remember somebody ringing me up one day and saying, you know, how's things going? And, And they said, oh, really, really good. I've got 17 maybes. And my reply was, go and get 17 no's. And and they hesitated a bit, but they got the point, and of course went back out to the seventeen maybes and got fifteen no's and two clients, mm. and and that's what it's all about, isn't it? You don't ask for the business, you don't you get, get it. Yeah, yeah.
0: That, oh man, I, yeah. I keep relearning that every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> handling
1: objections is very uh, is a very very interesting part of business, isn't it? Yeah.
0: yeah well, personally, um, so I think the the old objection handling model's broken. Yes. So the whole old objection handling model is agree, relate, pretend pretend you understand, and then tell them why they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so I think personally, a better way to handle the objection is like the quote, the longest way round is the shortest way home. Yes. So you don't directly tell them they're wrong. As you capture the information and recognize that there's going to be a problem. Yeah. You solve it with third party examples before they present the issue. Yep. And then you've got given them the solution without actually having to confront their identity. What, what, do you do you ever go into that? Do you teach them like how do you navigate objections, or you just yeah. be a human being and ask for the business? Well, I just um, love sales. So.
1: Yeah, it's an it's an interesting, <laughs> and I'm not a salesperson. Oh, okay, you know? yeah, yeah. So you know, it's it's interesting. But one of the one of the problems in the SME market mm. um, is that a, most SME business owners spend a lot of time in freeze mode. Okay. And when I say freeze mode, um, is that because they're not sure of mm. the path they should go down or what they should do, they actually do nothing. Yeah, and often doing nothing is worse than doing the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I always say in business, if you do two, th- if you do ten things and two of them are right, you'll make money. Um, do nothing and nothing happens. And a lot of SME business owners, because fear of being unsure about whether it's the right thing to do or not, okay, they go into freeze mode and do what they've always done. So when we go and see them, I believe that they're in that mode a lot of time and therefore their objections aren't actually necessary necessarily very real they're actually making themselves safe from making a decision because they're unsure Hmm. yeah And, and when you think about it to hire an advisor for a business doing let's say a couple of million dollars right we might charge them three grand a month so that's 30 grand a year but they can fire us in 90 days if they don't like us. So it's only a 10 grand decision. A 10 grand decision for a $2 million business is not a lot of money. Mm. So why wouldn't you give it a go? what sort of objections do we get? I'd like to think about it, Mm. you know. Well, nothing's going to be different tomorrow, you know. Um, Or, um, you know, I'd like to, uh, you know, talk to my accountant. Well, how many $10,000 decisions do you talk to your accountant about? Zero, you know. So I don't actually think that 90% of the objections we get are objections. They're just putting off making the decision. So, it's a good point just to you know.
0: bring sales oh you can keep going
1: yeah so you know we just got to force them to you know hey tomorrow's not going to be any different you
0: know and well so put
1: I have a little story yeah, you like on. a story yeah, yeah go on I had a prospect this is going back a while I had a prospect we'll call him Tony and uh, <laughs> and I pushed Tony pretty hard he was in not good shape his, his business was messy and 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 um he was only just staying uh, with his head above water and he was very stressed gent and you could tell that he was a stressed gent and he admitted and then when I said to him well look I can help you you know that freeze mode thing came on oh yeah well I'd like to think about it and um you know um know, yeah, I might like to talk to some of my friends and I've got a guy that I bounce ideas off and all of this you know just bullshit in my opinion and so I pushed him pretty hard, and I said, man, you need help. And I said, you know, I can help you. And, like, if you don't do something, nothing changes, nothing changes. But, but I pushed, pushed, pushed. And anyway, in the end, you know, I had the contract on the desk and had the pen on sitting on the contract, and I'm looking him in the eye. <laughs> and in the end, he used a bit of an expletive, and he signed it. you know, kind of thing. So I took off home went and had the gin and tonic at home and said to my other half you know oh, I had to push a guy fairly hard today but I got him across the line you know thumbs up and I don't have any pr- trouble doing that because I genuinely believe that yeah. I'm the best thing that's ever going to happen to that guy that's a bit egotistical but I believe that you know so the phone goes at some ungodly hour in the morning and I look at the number and it's Tony and I thought i oh, have gone home talked to the Mrs. Byer remorse he's going to tell me no way and anyway this excited voice comes on the phone tony, rob rob it's tony I said, yeah tony how are you what, what, what's the problem he said i just wanted to tell you i slept really well last night first time in ages i've got you worrying about my business mm. and um you know it, it's like a problem shared's a problem halved isn't yeah. it you know and uh I mean, we took that guy quite quickly from having financial staff management issues to having a pretty well-oiled business and him buggering off on Friday at lunchtime, you know, um, and he's probably been working seven days a week, 10 hours a day for the last three years. So, um, yeah.
0: It's a good story, mate. So yeah.
1: sometimes you could just got to push people.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: Um, and, and for some people, some people find that
0: harder than others. <coughs> Well, I mean, to be able to do that, um, I think the first person you need to sell to is yourself. I think I think the biggest uh, contributor to why that's a successful approach for you is that there's no doubt there's a belief system behind it. Yep. And that's quite a hard thing because essentially you're the product. You have resources, you have IP, but essentially it's you. So how how do you recognize people that have that belief, or how do you instill that belief in these people that are coming in? Um. We give people a, 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 a huge raft of tools, mm. so
1: they've got all of the... Um, You've got to keep that close to the chest, are they? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can sense it. Yeah, yeah, go
1: they've got all of the things that they need to do the job behind them. The second thing that we do, which I think is really important, is is that we walk our own talk, so everybody that joins us actually is assigned to another person and has their own coach. Mm. So it's not only do they come to a couple of weeks training, but then they actually have another senior or an advisor that's been around for a long time they are paired with. So um, they've got that go-to person. The other thing, um, nothing's ever urgent in what we do. I mean, if somebody gives you their financials for the last three years, you're not going to pick them up and read them in front of them and then make commentary, are you? You're going to say, thanks very much, I'll take those home uh, and have a look at them. Now, if they're Chinese, when you get them home, um, you know you send them off to somebody that, who, that's not Chinese. So the same if somebody has a sales program that's an absolute mess or they don't have one, you're not going to talk about it with them and then give them the solution right there mm-hmm. and then. You're going to say to them, hey, I need to take this away and have a little bit of a think about it. And then you're going to jump on the phone and talk to one of our sales gurus. Got a massive HR problem? Unless somebody's hung themselves in the toilet, you know, nothing's that urgent. You know, you're going to take it away, aren't you? And you're going to talk with one of the HR gurus and then you're going to come back with good advice. So we do have a little bit of time shelter.
0: Mm.
1: but. You know, not dissimilar to what you guys do. I mean, you're taking individuals, aren't you, and saying, hey, plan for your retirement. I mean, yeah. we're doing very similar thing. A lot of our clients are, are 50, 55. Mm. They wake up one day and they say, I've got to sell this business in five years' time, and it's a shambles. Yeah. Um, or... Um, I'm 55, thinking I was going to be retired at 60, and I still haven't got any money. Yeah, true. Um, so what am I going to do? We do get startups, which sometimes are younger people, um, but most of our client set would be middle-aged people that aren't getting where they want to go to fast enough. And let's, real, let's face it, you know, a, a business is only a vehicle for a family. It's yeah, nothing more, you know. Some people love the business their businesses, some people hate them with a passion. Yeah, yeah. But whether they love them or hate them, it's only a vehicle for their family.
0: True. Yeah. So I'm just gonna have to temporarily do a recess to come back because yeah. I'm just busting. Yeah. I have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um so and we're in the tally in the last ten minutes. So I'll just go toilet quickly. Yeah. And then we'll wrap it up. Yep. Um just I ate something funny this morning or something, mate. So I'm sorry about that. No problem. But I'll be back quickly. Yeah. Having a meltdown for like 10 minutes there, uh, trying to hold it together. I was like, <laughs> home stretch, mate. Home stretch. Was, yeah,
1: not no problem on my account. It
0: happens to all of us, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah when you get older, it's worse. <laughs> yeah, true. I'll look forward to it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you talked about family businesses as well. And, yep, I, I think you know, you might not like the, the comparison I draw here, but I, I see management consulting not dissimilar to the challenge that is facing the insurance industry is that. You have to sell a product. You know, they don't think come in knowing that they need it. So You're absolutely
1: right there. People do not wake up in the morning and say, I need myself a management advisor. <laughs> uh, they wake up in the morning and they say, my bank account's empty or I've got no staff or I'm having product issues or the factory's a mess and it's not running well. They don't necessarily think that the solution to that is us. Mm. So we mostly are pushing out. Um, but when we push out, we also push out with some of those key things. So like when we're pushing out, we're pushing out about cash flow management. We're pushing out about good HR, induction training, and so forth. We're pushing out about productivity I spoke about profit leakage. Every business leaks profit. It's just a matter of how much. Mm. Um, and do you understand what causes profit leakage? So we're pushing those kind of stories out all the time. You're right. People do not get out of bed and say, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to write myself a life policy for a billion dollars. You know, yeah. And people don't get out of bed
0: saying, I'm going to hire a management <laughs> advisor this morning. Uh, yeah, it doesn't happen that way, no. No. And so when that would have been a challenge because – On one hand, you can either focus on the individual and how to um, tailor approach in a way that's relatable so they can sort of see, hey, profit loss. Oh, that makes sense. I don't quite know management consulting, but you're talking my lingo. But then you've also got an education problem because you're essentially pioneering an industry of sorts. It's been around a while, um, but people aren't aware of it. Do Do you think about an education piece? How can you make management consulting? Put that on the map. Because you're obviously an advocate for it, yeah. It's a growing industry. Yeah, um, there's way more players in it than
1: uh, than what there used to be. Mm. I'm actually looking. We you raised the the thing about accountants, um, and and I would love in in the in going forward that more and more accountants would become more and more involved in advisory services. Because they will help put the industry on the map as well. Hmm. Um, you know, you want to sell a car, or you want to become a car sales uh, uh, owner, don't you? Where do you go and get a yard in Green Lane? Why? Because there's 50 others there. Um, our industry is no different. You know, if if there were 30 times more advisors in New Zealand than what there are now, it would be way more known industry. Hmm. And then you only just then you only have to be the best, not necessarily have to sell the industry itself you just have to be best at what you do so um, prime strategies is already the best we just need it to be more well known
0: yeah yeah well i actually you know have you ever heard of um the ultimate sales machine or the the concept of the dream 100 yes yeah Yeah. so I, i i was like who could who do who would I enjoy talking to and who would I enjoy helping? And I was like, management consultants would be fucking cool. <laughs> so I made a list, and you guys were at the top. So I was like, oh, how can I, you know, start a relationship with them? All right, we'll just add them on the podcast, give them content, make them aware. Yeah, yep. Um, but that's an important thing, I think. Like, if I was to make management consultancy known, then you might have to expand into a realm that you're not necessarily comfortable with, and not one that you've done before because you've made a very smart business approach where essentially you're scaling it by supporting other management consultants. And it sounds like they contribute either a fee or a revenue share to be able to be a part of that network. Is that kind of?
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. They, um, of the fees we charge, yeah. uh, we, we take a portion like a franchise. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of those fees. Um, but as I said, everybody that joins our organisation is uh, is buddied up, if you like, with a senior operator, and that's who they pay that fee to. Oh. So so um, we've got layers, if you want, if you want to think about it like that. So yeah. let's turn around and say we've got, uh, uh, say, Bay of Plenty. So we have a senior person in Bay of Plenty that's been doing this for a long time. Every time we put somebody into Bay of Plenty, they go under that person's umbrella and they pay a percentage of their fee to him and his job or her, but it is a him, uh, their job is to mentor and help them with their clients and the advisory process. And then he in turn has to pay us for the joy of doing
0: that. Interesting, because there's a a challenge that a lot of organizations face, and I think competition has its merit, but often it leads to um, in-house degradation of other people. So like making others lose so you can win. Yep. So you're incentivizing them to support and grow. Yep. Um, which was a similar model with the um. It was a Appco was the company I used to work for. They're one of the largest face to face marketing companies no one's heard of. Yes, and they just sell everything, but they wear other other people's brands. Oh, yes. Yep. And they'll do a revenue share. So if you heard and hit a certain criteria of sales yep. as an individual, you go to this stage. Yes, and then the next stage, if you get a team to hit a certain percentage, then um you get a percentage of that. That yep. Is, is there. Like what, what is the limit to an average management consultant? Is it six to eight clients and then you've got that recurring revenue of three grand a month it, the it, take? It, it's, it's a little bit more complex than oh, that
1: yeah. um, because first of all, you can have different size clients. So if somebody's uh, doing 500,000 a year, yeah, true. it's probably a guy and a boy. Maybe or a girl and a helper. Well, I don't want to be race sexual. <laughs> um, so l- l- let's take um, you know, let's take a hairdressing salon. Yeah. So a lady owns a hairdressing salon and she's got one girl working for her. You know, they might generate three or four hundred thousand a year. To go and see them on a weekly basis would be total overkill. You could probably see them once a month, um, and give them a lot of help and advice on their marketing and managing mm. and pricing and all the rest of it. Let's take a plumber and he's got a van and a boy. Same deal, you know. So you've got that end client. If you take those clients on, you might only be seeing the monthly. You might be able to have 20 of those clients, right? Take a, a business doing seven and a half million, got 25 on the staff, four key players in the business. Um, you're probably going to be seeing them weekly and you'll not only be working with the owner but you'll also be working with some of those key staff and the job's a lot bigger, the yeah. fee's a lot bigger. So when you're putting your client base together, depending on you know the guy that operates in Blenheim has a different client base possibly to a guy operating in the inner city. Mm. And a different skill set and all the rest of it, you know a guy operating in Blemen probably gives half of advice in the street as he walks past the people that he's, that are his clients, whereas uh, somebody operating in the inner city is probably going into some fairly big organizations and so forth.. Yeah. And yeah. I think uh, you know we don't dictate to our, our practitioners what they can and can't do. Mm. Um, in relation to their customer size and so forth. We dictate to them on the deliverables because obviously the deliverables
0: have to meet our standards. Yeah, uh, You make a good point there. I talk about a lot is the concept decentralization is where if you're trying to micromanage your staff, essentially you're bottlenecking yourself. Yeah, so, yeah. so I yeah. guess you create a framework of ethics, a framework of process, and then obviously that mission. And then you sort of give them a bit more flexibility and freedom to deliver on those.
1: Yep. Um, the only, and we we're, we're not a corporate. You know, you don't have <laughs> to write monthly reports in our organisation that yeah. don't get read or anything like that. But we do have a deliverable standard. Yeah. The un the interesting thing though is is that you can't be too dictatorial either because. Every business is a, is a unique vehicle, isn't yeah. it? So it's got an owner and its personality and it's got a size and then also what the owner's aspirations are. If you've got an owner that's making uh, 200000 a year but working 70 hours a week and you turn around and say, I can double the size of your business, all he hears is 100 hours a week. This guy's a lunatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, so the sale for him is, you know, like, how do we get you to work in 40 hours a week and keep your same income, you know? Um, but some people want to build an empire, mm. uh, other people want an easy life. Um, I mean, that's your industry, isn't it? What do you want out of life and how are you going to retire? No different. The, the business is a vehicle. Um, and when we talk about life coaching, but we're not life coaches, but you can't, divorce the person you can't yeah. you can't not take cognizance of the family uh, and and what what's the makeup of the family and that can be everything from somebody who's just on their own um, through to uh, somebody that's in a marital situation with five kids through to all sorts of relationships.
0: Yeah, we we found that um the biggest contributor to turnover in the commissionally sales sales part was what they went home to. Yep. So how they would describe their role to their partner, and if it was negative, the partner's worried and you know wants to support them, and then they leave. And I think that's something that's underplayed in in training people is that they focus on the skill set or the knowledge, but not the underlying belief system. Yep. Um, and I imagine that's a huge crossover in that. You might not call yourselves therapists, but I suspect.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things we say when people join us is that you're actually a business coach, but you're also a life coach, a marriage guide counselor, <laughs> a child advisor, and all the rest of it, you know, because, and, and your level of relationship. I mean, I've had a client for 17 years. Mm. Um, I mean, I know him and his wife and family and all the rest of it. Very, very well. I, I I, don't class him as a close personal friend because I don't like moving clients to that situation. I believe that um, affects the relationship. But I know him really, really, really well. And he would tell me anything, mm. you know, um, and sometimes does. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, um, we've gone we've gone over an hour, mate. You, Have you, we? You've done well, uh, even with my toilet break in the middle. Yeah. So, um, what would be uh, a a point you want to leave on, and also how they find you, or the uh, the organisation, because you're out there training, recruiting. So, yeah. Um, a point to
1: leave on—that's a hard one. I hadn't thought of that. Mm-hmm. Um, or what a small business I, would I, think I, about a point to leave on for me would be that. I absolutely 100% know that if a business owner is to employ a non-emotional advisor, they won't believe the benefits that they will receive from it. And that's not only financial. They will receive financial benefits, but often the financial benefits are a byproduct. If If you get a business... And its processes become better, and its staff become better, and its financial management become better, and all the rest of it. Not only do you have a less stressful business, but you also have a business that makes more money, and they go hand in hand. We get hired to take away the pain, but in taking away the pain, we make more money. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? If you know, if you, if I could say to you, pay me fifty thousand a year, and I'll make you two hundred. Um, to me, it's a no-brainer, but it's more than that. It's taking away the pain, and it's very hard in a small business to talk to your staff. Um, sometimes guys or ladies don't like taking it home because they think it's adding stress to the relationship. We're somebody to talk to. Problem, problem shared, problem halved, and and because we are in heaps of businesses all the time, we see things that owners don't see. Is mm. that? Kind of make
0: sense? Yeah, I, oh, mate? You've yeah. got a way with words and how they find you. Yeah, They're how posed. do they
1: find us? Well, if you do a Google search on anything to do with business management, we'll probably come up on the first page. Oh, um, so, you know, if you were to key in business management advisor, you'll definitely get us. But if you were to key in... Things like profit leakage or cash flow management or business planning or any of those things, you'll probably find us. Yeah,
0: cool. I'll make it easier. I'll put a link in there. Put a link in there,
1: that'd be nice. Yeah, Yeah. and you're on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, we're strong on LinkedIn. Um, all our team obviously have LinkedIn and we post and so forth on it. Um, you know, um, I don't know how many connections and so forth we've got across our network, but probably over a hundred thousand, I'd say. So, yeah, cool. Um, so that's us, yeah. And um, one one final thought. Aye, oh, yeah, go on. If it's not Prime Strategies, get an advisor, even if it's somebody else, because they will pay their way tenfold. All right, on that note, thank right. you. Yeah, okay. Thanks, yep. Ryan. Thanks for the opportunity.